Hi, everybody. Welcome to the third series of our Future Tech podcast series, where it's me, Charlie Sell, the Group MD of Arrows Group, uh, interviewing, speaking to CTOs, directors of engineering, thought leaders within technology, asking them a bit about their story, thoughts on emerging technologies, and that all-important question, career advice to STEM graduates. Uh, really pleased to have Ivan Sutherland with me today. Ivan is the engineering director at Babylon Healthcare, uh, a global company providing affordable and accessible healthcare to the planet. So uh, anyone who's been on LinkedIn or has tracked the business, it's one of the fastest growing companies um, out there as well. So I'm sure some exciting stories. And uh, Ivan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Good to, good to talk, Charlie. Yeah, great. So let's jump straight in and find out a bit about your background and your story. Uh, I guess I started out in tech by choosing a tech course at university. Uh, it seems very stereotypical that both myself and my brother studied electronic engineering at university and my dad studied electronic engineering. My sister studied history and my mum studied history. So we didn't fall very far from the tree in that respect. So, uh, but uh, so I started out with a, on an engineering degree. Um, I guess I uh, found it somewhat dissatisfactory in the first year and uh, almost swapped to uh, psychology and philosophy, which would have taken me in quite a different direction, as you can imagine. <laughs> Uh, luckily, I think I didn't make that choice. So uh, after the first year, the course broadened out and I got to focus on computer science and that I found that much more interesting, much more fascinating uh, area to work. So I guess I describe my uh, career as having sort of three lives. Uh, um, my first life was from uh, uh, as a uh, from C developer to CTO. So from C developer at a, a small software house in the city in London through uh, JP Morgan to a dot-com <clears throat> where I became CTO. Um, that was 14 years later, I, I finished up at the dot-com. Uh, but uh, in that I'd done, I'd done a lot of different roles. So in, this, in the startup, inside in the software house where I started, I did you know development, obviously, testing, project management, architecture, business analysis, all the different things all the different functions that go into sort of building software solutions. Um, and obviously I saw three different, very different sort of companies. So a software house or software consultancy, a, a big financial services company, global, and then a small startup. Um, so that was my first life. After, after we uh, sold the company, I took a couple of years out. So I wanted to live life differently. I went to Spain to endeavor to learn Spanish at, <clears throat> at a, a rather older age. Uh, not so easy as, a, as doing it when you're a baby, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, and then went to Costa Rica and worked for a charity, uh, uh, living in the jungle, sleeping on a board, no hot water, wow. rice and beans three times a day, <laughs> working with street kids and, uh, and uh, other things. Uh, then I worked as a sort of photographic assistant for a, on a photo shoot for H&M in, in Mallorca, as it happens, randomly, as these things happen. Um, friend of a friend and photography was a bit of a passion of mine, etc. So that was two years doing something that was, you know, obviously life very different from working in tech in the city of London type thing. 
And then I came back, I reached out to uh, um, uh, a woman who'd been CEO of the dot-com I was working at. She was then uh, MD at Lloyd's TSB Corporate. I went in for a sort of five-week piece of uh, piece of work, and they ended up keeping me for uh, uh, as an as a contractor for a year or so. My second life was that was as a contractor, primarily interim assignments, so sort of working eighteen months and then taking uh, six months off to do other things. After and in the middle of that, where, uh, well, the financial crisis was at its peak. I seem to have lived through two crises. Yeah. So no wars yet, thankfully, but two crises. So the uh, uh, I did an MBA uh, in the middle of that. So after 10, 11 years of working as a sort of contractor, um, which was great in many ways, but I guess I missed the emotional engagement in work that you get when you're actually when you're a permanent employee. And I wanted to be and I like finishing what I started. So as an interim, particularly where you're there sort of a gun for hire to fill a slot while they make a decision about whether they want to make a permanent hire or waiting for a permanent hire or doing a reorg or whatever it is. Um, then uh, I missed <clears throat> I missed that emotional engagement, um, but I got obviously some freedom to work with lots of different employees after employers after only working for three previously, and also to taking out time and having a work life balance that was different. And I guess there's financial compensations too. But so after 10, 11 years, I decided that I wanted to pivot back into uh, permanent work and uh, go back to startups. So I tried a couple of startups before Babylon um, and uh, I joined Babylon uh, about almost exactly oh, 11 months ago. So uh, last November after being to the Rugby World Cup, <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, which was great. I thought we didn't win, but it was great anyway. Um, uh, so I chose Babylon because I love their mission. You know, as you sort of stated, uh, the you know Babylon's mission is to provide, you know, affordable and accessible healthcare to the whole planet, um, which in my MBA, I'd done a, my MBA thesis was a, a hospital in North London on the sort of a patient journey through diagnostics. And so I'd always had a little plan I'd obviously spent a lot of my career in financial services but I'd always had a desire to uh to work in something uh, a bit more meaningful to me at any rate um and uh, so and I'd sort of experimented a bit with healthcare but didn't find that the opportunities within the NHS although I spent I followed my MBA thesis with a 18 months or 15 months or so contracting with uh, an NHS uh, uh the same NHS um hospital uh, at, um, so uh, that's why so I wanted to get back into healthcare for those reasons. And I also love the tech um, and Babylon offers a sort of complete range of tech in the sense that it's all in the cloud for starters and that it covers the whole a, a artificial intelligence, machine learning data side of things, as well as mobile web apps and, you know, backend microservices. So it seems to have, it seems to offer me both sort of a meaningful a really meaningful mission uh, um, and great technology to work with and to be part of the startup although Gab Babylon as you've mentioned has grown to like you know 1800 or so people over a period of four years and it's like you know really rapid growth although the growth has sort of slowed slightly now but really rapid growth um, and I wanted to be part I like to be wanting part of that sort of startup story again um so that's what took me to babylon really and here i am 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, what what a story. And what what, <laughs> what I loved about that is actually what, what you're you're living proof that you, you can you can change careers or not change careers. But you can have proper breaks. You 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 know life is for living, isn't it? So although although you need a career to be able to have the confidence to have a career break, do yeah. something totally different and come back again. It is. Uh, I mean. I was fortunate in that circumstances allowed it and that I didn't have a family and wasn't tied to sort of being in the UK and that sort of thing. But even taking time, but you know, you don't need to take time out and spend it abroad. You can take time out and do other stuff. I think it's, you know, if the truth be told, then I was probably slightly cavalier with it at times in that uh, um, it is a risk that people should be aware that it is a risk in the sense that for two reasons, one is that people, if you have a, a gap on your CV, then some people see that as a problem yeah. that you have to explain. Uh, recruitment agents and uh, other and and employers potentially, and also obviously tech moves very very fast. So if you yeah. take a big time out, then it's you 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 miss stuff, and yeah. you have to. It's more you have to work harder to get back back. But for me, obviously the that there was a balance there and I sort of managed to pick my way through the, the sort of those issues um, uh, without it being too impactful. And so, and I, for me personally, obviously well worth it because I got to do things that were many people don't get the opportunity, opportunity to do and, uh, and really enjoyed and doing it and seeing yeah. a completely different side of life in a completely different place with completely different challenges yeah 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 and, and thank you for that because actually that is valid that you know technology really does move at a million miles an hour especially to, in, in the common day your current day so so yeah it's it's it is that balance and being able to keep a breadth of it mm-hmm. and and so that probably leads us quite nicely into the you know the next part where we think about emerging technologies and and as you said with babylon having everything from AI and, and VR through to mobile applications, uh, all in the cloud. You've probably had quite a lot of exposure uh, to, to the emerging world. So so what excites you or when you think about emerging technologies? Well, I guess I'd start, start, start slightly differently and I'd sort of in the sense that before answering that question directly, in that for me, it's, um, I've always been, I do, I love tech, but I've always been motivated by what the tech enables you to do. Yeah. rather than just the tech itself. So you should never work in tech and, and just be proposing solutions just because it's new tech. You should be looking to see what the tech enables you to do better for your your client, your the patient, whoever it is that you're serving, etc. And also the best tech is not necessarily the best tech. The best tech is the most appropriate tech. So and I, my example for that is that so Babylon, you know, as I said, is a global company and its mission is global. And so for like for the last few four years or so, Babylon has, has been providing primary health care to the people of Rwanda in partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as well as serving the NHS and other markets in Asia and, and the US. And obviously, you know, for people who don't know, the the the, the principal offering from Babylon was to be able to do virtual consultations on, on your phone with a doctor, uh, you know, 24 seven, et cetera, without having to be there obviously uh, in person and traveling, et cetera. 
um, which is obviously very useful in this time. Uh, but that is, uh, uh, but with sort of AI tools, but obviously in Rwanda, the people there don't have uh, smartphones. So you have to use the sort of USSD, which is a system that allows you to punch in sort of codes on your feature phone and get access to Babylon services that way and have a voice call with a doctor. And if you do need to go into a surgery to see a doctor, then you basically walk the 20 miles across across the the, uh, the jungle or savannah or whatever the uh, whatever the terrain is in uh, that part of Rwanda to go to get to see a doctor. So there, both they did, also didn't have AWS. So therefore, there's you know we had to sort of uh, uh, choose a different uh, provider for the for the infrastructure and use a different way of deploying the services without use. So they weren't the the latest tech. Yeah. But that that aside. The obviously Babylon's uh, um, uh, uh, offering is based on use of uh, artificial intelligence and mach machine learning and chatbots and virtual uh, 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 video telephone uh, telephone calls to provide a service, and that is all sort of fairly emerging technology. Yeah. You do have to be, uh, you know, particularly with you know with uh, uh, AI and stuff, you have to be very careful that you understand. What the models are, why the models are giving you the answers that they're giving you. Uh, that there's no bias in the models, whatever for, from whatever uh, can cause that bias. You need to be very well aware of that possibility and make sure that's not there. And obviously, it's a highly regulated environment, so we have to go through lots of hoops to make sure those things are all true. Okay. But that said, it you know it's you know, in this in this world that we're living in 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 now, healthcare is ever more preeminent and the, the the world is moving towards a uh, much more um you know the population's getting older they're living with more complex conditions and therefore giving people health care is uh, is getting ever more uh, expensive and ever more difficult for governments and um, as people are getting sicker as well so it is uh so by, by leveraging off the sort of the, the uh, new emerging technologies like AI and machine learning, we can give a circle of care to, uh, to our patients, which starts with AI, with you know, things like health check, monitor, chat, and stuff like that, then goes through virtual consultations to physical consultations. And we're also focusing on, rather than... Um, in the US, particularly, it's like you know, people pay per you know, pay for a appointment, whatever it is, and uh, a much better model for the world in general now is is a more, you know, it's the outcomes you want. You want the you want preventative medicine, a preventative approach that uh, gives patients as many healthy days as possible. Yeah. So that's what we are trying to do now in some new initiatives with with people other, uh, with uh, people around around the world, including the, including the NHS. And they, so the technology that, you know, so we've gone on a journey which um, is uh, always evolving. So we, as I said, we're cloud first. We did have, we initially went to market with, before I joined, obviously, with a, with a Ruby monolith. Right. And that was, so we, we're, we're gradually hacking off bits of the monolith and we're well into a journey of retiring Ruby, the Ruby monolith for uh, Java microservices on the, clinical care side and it's like it's all you know it's python on the sort of uh, the, uh, machine learning data science side etc 
so that's so one journey so all of that so running those microservices running microservices is a very different operational demand than uh, running running a monolith and so we you know we use uh, um, uh, we use AWS we use Kubernetes we use Istio as a as a, as a service mesh uh, to help us uh, um, uh, monitor and secure those 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 services. So that's uh, so one thing is that that journey from uh, monolith to, to microservices is a really interesting one and a, a challenge, challenging one. We uh, have moved also from uh, uh, native mobile apps to React Native, which is is, is a technology that's been around for a few years and it's been uh, it's been it's getting more it's more mature now. Shall we say not? It's been around for. A, Three, four, five, six, five years maybe. It's getting more mature now. So now it's time that we felt it's a good time to ad adopt it. So we're on a journey again from with our native apps that are migrating those from native to uh, React Native, which is uh, uh, another challenge. But we believe it will allow us to be um, more agile and deliver better service to our to our um, our patients because we won't have to write. A lot of the code, you know, we won't have to deploy to two different platforms. Essentially, yeah. we are also moving on a sort of to a sort of more event-driven world. So um, we, uh, you know, make uh, making more use of sort of Kafka and a sort of a um, distributed CQRS sort of uh, um, uh, um, pattern to uh, make all of the healthcare data that, that all of our apps need and that we consume from from third parties available to the organization and then available to other 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 uh, other organizations that we have to interface with because obviously a lot of healthcare providers use uh, have their you know ele electronic medical record system EMR systems and we need to interface with those to consume information and also to pass information to those mm. so um, but it's always inter it's interesting to me how companies make technology decisions and get bring on board new technology so um and i think that has to be as open and collaborative and it's uh, honest and open dialogue is always key in any you know one of it uh, in any good culture culture uh, company with good culture and so we have a sort of bi-weekly architectural forum where people write two pages uh to uh, on, on things things they want to do whether that's new technology they want to bring in, or or designs for you know an, an architectural approach to a problem they're trying to solve, etc., they put it into a sort of Slack channel. People comment on the on the sort of Google Doc that's there, and then it gets brought to the to the architectural forum for more uh, for deeper discussion if if need be. But so. The way that you I mean, obviously, in a sort of um, stereotypical microservices approach, then each squad has absolute, you know, free, has freedom to bring in what technology they want to in order to meet the need that they're trying to solve for. But there needs to be some sort of guardrails on that, I think. So, so basically, so therefore, our guardrails are that you know we we want to do our um, backend development in Java or Python. And that we that we you know we want to use uh, Postgres as our, as our database uh, where 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 possible, but that doesn't mean you can't go outside that. It just means you've got to have an argument for doing so. Yeah. And it because it is always the thing that's great about tech is that 
there's never one right answer. <laughs> uh, it always it's it 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 depends. So you know, so you need to understand the context and the constraints uh, as, as 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 when 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 choosing your text. So it's always a, that that means there's always an interesting debate, and uh, you know, so an interesting debate. You know that we so do we introduce uh, Node.js into our uh, in, in, into our, one of our allowed backend languages, because we're basically by introducing React Native and having React as our, on our on our web app, we basically have JavaScript. We could have JavaScript top to bottom of the stack if we had Node.js on the backend. Yeah. That comes at a cost, though, in the sense you need to support another skill set within the organization. Although there's some there's some transfer, obviously, if it's all JavaScript, but still. So that's so then you have a healthy debate about whether that's the right thing to do, yeah. Yeah. and you have a healthy debate about whether CQRS, CQRS is the right uh, design pattern, and uh, because that means that the data that you're storing in your distributed store is sort of eventually consistent, then that does not necessarily. I mean, eventually consistent might mean two or three seconds delay in getting it written to the read store, but that does mean that the that uh, that may not be. Uh, appropriate for all use cases yeah. so all these things happen uh in a way that i uh, you know is that is positive healthy and intellectually stimulating i think yeah and then again that, that relates to your very first comment doesn't it about emerging technologies it's actually what's the most appropriate technology not necessarily the newest so yeah. so again you're i think that's a great example how you're doing that with your teams mm -hmm. and the debates i can imagine you've probably got everyone from millennials who don't want to just work on the latest tech and they'd understand that it's, it needs to be the most appropriate and, and maybe people have worked on a specific tech that need to be developed into something new at times. Yeah. So obviously, so, you know, it's always difficult uh, uh, transitioning. So, so sometimes some tech, some tech decisions are more, uh, um, more impactful than others. So obviously moving to React Native from Native, so people who've invested a lot of time in learning, uh, you know, in, in learning sort of, you know, Kotlin Swift or whatever, and uh, now wanting to, some of them, uh, it's difficult to move everybody in a pain-free way to a, a new platform. Um, uh, and, you know, from Ruby to Java, then again, there's, uh, um, you do find people who want to stay just in their in their skill set, um, and so you can't always bring everyone with you in those when you make those sort of decisions as, as an organisation. Um, and obviously, people make mistakes when when they make those sort of those sort of transitions. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that you know one of the you know one of the things that you know I was going to say to people who you know STEM graduates, whatever is you know don't 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 fixate on a particular language because languages come and go yeah and also uh, you are far more useful uh, as someone who is able to solve problems yeah okay so be a polyglot so you can learn to you can solve a problem in in in, in a number of different languages and there's uh, you know it's to get involved in religious wars about one language versus another language is sort of sort of misses the point of it. I mean, it's you can you can have those debates and they're sort of interesting up to a point, but essentially, I'd just say you know be be flexible, be open, 
And, you know, uh, don't just fixate on one particular thing. Learn about lots of different things and find out what, what, what interests you most. And also make yourself as, 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 useful, and, uh, as useful and broad a tool in the toolbox as you can be, because that will make you very attractive to, to, to employers. Oh, well, fantastic, because literally that was what we were going to move on to, wasn't it? The, 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 the pockets of advice for, for STEM grads. And I think you just articulated that really well. The, the polyglot um, engineer is, and I speak from the recruitment side of things, is so relevant right now that the ability to, to continually learn and be a, someone in tech who, yeah, who doesn't fixate on one technology, but, but appreciates the, the bandwidth of, yeah. of the ever-evolving Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. Right. And and so with that being one really good piece of advice, have you got one more bit of advice that you would offer our STEM listeners when you know thinking about their first career moves into the real world? Uh, don't chase the money. Look for where you can learn most. Okay. Yeah. But there's a little story I could tell, which is basically I my first two jobs, which were a long time ago. One offered me £500 a year more than the other one, which was a good chunk of the salary. So this is, you can see how long ago that was. <laughs> I chose one because it was, it was closer to home uh, by about 10 minutes on the tube and, uh, um, uh, and £500 a year more. Uh, the other one was a little startup that went on to be the first handheld computing company called Scion. And if I'd joined them, then I might have, uh, I might, I might have been uh, sitting on my yacht in the Caribbean right now. <laughs> and I'll, seriously, just don't, don't just look at the money. Look at the where going to a place where you can learn the most, yeah. and with a culture that you think you're going to connect to most. Um, and then, yeah, be humble, learn as much as you can, use your knowledge to help as mu- others as much as you can, and the team. And uh, yeah and embrace a challenge. Those are, those are some other things I'd sort of say. Well, what, what great advice. And yeah, what a great um, way of being able to make it relevant about yeah, <laughs> which companies to choose. Saying that, I think in all of our lives, it's like sliding doors, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can never really fixate on the, 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 the decisions you didn't make, but it's, it's yeah. great to, to remind yourself that, that, yeah, it's not about the money, but, but to find the right business and culturally where mm-hmm. you fit. So. Mm-hmm. Ivan, thank you so much. That's been really, really interesting and great to hear also what Babylon's doing in terms of their technical advancements and the, 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 you know, Rwanda through to Asia, through to the States. I can only imagine the, the different complexities and the challenges that you guys have as a tech team as well as a business. No, no, and it's great. Like I say, those challenges are what makes, you know, it, it's, I could say going into work uh, getting into work enjoyable but <laughs> no one's really going into work at the moment as such physically anyway but uh, yeah yeah and uh, good to speak to you thank you thanks really for the opportunity okay well thank you everybody so that's been another episode of our future tech podcast series um as our 16 university partner universities the footage is shared on your careers portal and the full podcast is on the arrows group spotify so for another episode thank you thank you again to ivan Thank you. Uh, Till the next one.